0: Notice there are uh, several scripture passages we will refer to today. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you'd want to open them and we'll be sort of bicycling through quite a number of passages, some even that aren't on here, but you might want to note them as we study God's Word together. And I'd like to begin uh, by asking you a question. If you're in the mall... And someone doing a survey comes up to you with their clipboard. And they say, excuse me, I'd like to ask you just two questions, if you have a moment. And you say, all right, all right, just two, what are they? And they ask, number one, do you believe in God? And then question number two. What words would you use to describe God? How would you answer? Do you believe in God? What words would you use to describe God? Last week, Martin reminded us that we are all ambassadors of God, right? We are His agents, His press agents. And, and you know, it says in, in all the sales manuals that the the best salesperson is a satisfied customer, right? Someone who's satisfied with the product is the best agent. Do you believe in God? What words would you use that express your satisfaction, your delight, your joy in knowing God? Well, you know, the Bible gives us many, many, many wonderful words to describe God. Uh, my wife, Nina, and I, we've been reading together a book called Everyday Church by a man named Tim Chester, a very interesting book about gospel communities like ours on their mission in the world. And Tim Chester has been teaching all over England and all over Europe, and one of his great tools is to encourage people to have Words, a working vocabulary for their own personal growth and for their own witness, a working vocabulary simply to describe God. Parents, if we say it's your duty to teach your children about God, which words do you use? Do you believe that make you a, someone who's satisfied deep in your hearts with God? Well, Tim Chester says at least we should use four words. These four words start with the letter G. Now, we have people, many people here today, whose English is your second language, so you might have to not have them all start with the letter G. You can translate them into your language of origin. However, in English, four words that are very important for you when you describe to someone at work or someone at school or someone on the PTA with you, when you describe God. Four words, he says, they are the words great, glorious, good, and gracious, and it really has captured me. And I, even last week, I had the opportunity to describe God to someone, and I just used this simple outline, just to talk about God. So. Think with me, just for a moment, a, a working knowledge. Tim Chester says a working knowledge of these things, that where you yourself are satisfied with these things about God is going to rock your world and change your life. Number one, he says, God is great. And so if you answered that first question, yes, I believe in God, let me ask you, is your God great or small? Is he infinite or is he puny? Your God, Psalm 48, verse 1, says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And then it talks about praising him in the city of the great king. The Hebrew word gadol, marvelous, marvelous. Guttural sound to it—the gadol of God. It speaks of the magnitude. It's a word that speaks of enormity of strength, infinity of size, of power. Gadol. We teach our children. You hear it all the time. The little prayer: God is great. God is good, and we thank Him. You know, those are pretty good terms to teach a little child. God is great. Moses cries out to Israel, and he says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God. So you're in the mall, and somebody says to you, what word would you choose to describe God? Would you use the word great? I hope you would. Maybe... You could quote this passage as Moses shouting out from Deuteronomy 10, 17. What would that be like? You're in the mall. Someone says, well, what word would you use? And you say, well, there's this verse. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and awesome God. That would get his attention, wouldn't it? He's writing it down. Listen to carefully. The song we just sang. Don't, we love that song as a congregation. This song indescribable. You placed the stars in the sky, and you know them by name. A hundred billion stars in this galaxy in the midst of a hundred billion other galaxies. And God, by the word of His breath, He whispers and whoosh, galaxies come into existence. And the stars, each star, 10,000 hydrogen bombs exploding every second. God whispers, and they arise. And every atom and every molecule on the other end of the spectrum, right? On the other end of the spectrum. God gives the energy, we are told, the universe is sustained. Your body pulsates. Trillions of cells in this room, alive and living, at the direction, at the sustenance of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, of God the Father and the Holy Spirit together. Amazing. You are amazing, God. who has told every lightning bolt where it should go. When we speak of the greatness of God, I think of my favorite hymn. Well, at least right now, it's my favorite hymn. How Great Thou Art. Do you know that hymn? I love this hymn. It's a a, a hymn written by a Swedish fellow named Gustav Broberg. And Gustav apparently left the church service. I don't know whether it was a good church service or a bad church service, but he's walking from one village to another in the 1800s, and the sky is blue, and the sun is shining, and the wind is blowing across the billowing waves of grain, and suddenly over the mountain come these dark thunderclouds. So you get the picture on the east, uh, in the west, the sky is, is... On the east, the sky is blue, and and on the west, the sky is dark, and it's coming, and then suddenly, crash, boom, flash, lightning peels across the sky. And then the rain begins to fall and water the earth, and he runs home, and he says, I threw open those shutters on the window, and I looked out across the fields of grain onto the pond, and I heard the cry of the thrush in the marsh, and his song came to my ear. And my heart, he said, nearly exploded. And we get these words from him, O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hand hath made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior, my God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. What word do you choose to describe God? God is great and He is in control. But you know what happens to me? What happens to me might sometimes happen to you. I forget that God is in control. I forget that God is great. I've tried to memorize Psalm 103. Is it verse 19? It says, For the Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all, but then I forget that He is in control. So what do I do? Then I have to be in control. Then I have to control you. And this is the great sin of pastors, isn't it? This is what... I, I, I don't know about if there's any other controlling types, here, who seem to know what's best for everybody, and we're quick to tell them how they need to live. But, but, I forget that God is in control, so I have to be in control. And that, you know, what that, that Tim Chester says in his book. He says, you know, what that does? It makes you overbearing, inflexible, and impatient. Uh, he's he's, and I said, were you talking to my wife? How did he know? How did he know that when I forget that God is great, suddenly I have to be in control? But you see, when you get this right, when you got it right, God is great. God is in control. Then then, yes, indeed, I need to be faithful, I need to talk uh, to people and, and help people along, but I can be relaxed, I can be patient. I don't have to force you to change right now immediately, do I? I don't. I, I plant the seed, I water the seed, I try and be faithful, I pray, but who who brings about the results? And in your family, with your children, at work, with your colleagues, with your boss, or with those who are around you? Who's responsible for the outcome? God is responsible because He is great. Are you with me on this you know even at the cross even at this most terrible moment of his agonizing death Jesus Christ affirms that God his father is in control and what does he utter he says into your hands this is amazing isn't it into your hands i commit my spirit what's he saying god i trust you with the outcome God is great. Second point, God is good. God is glorious. Second point, God is glorious. And in Exodus 15, verse 11, one of the first verses of the Bible I learned as a young Christian, Exodus 11, as Moses cries out, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, doing wonders. I love that phrase, awesome in glory. Would you use the word glorious to describe God? I hope that you would. What is the glory of God? John Piper writes at great length, if you know his writings, about the glory of God. And here's what he calls the glory of God. He says, the glory of God is going public with God's infinite worth. I like that. It's when God goes public with his character. And when he does, his glorious character is displayed. And Piper points out in Isaiah chapter 6, and I've never really seen it this way until I read it this week. He says, you remember the seraphim and cherubim? They're flying around the throne of God, and and Isaiah actually has the, the, the veil of heaven pulled back, and he sees God in His holiness on the throne and the seraphim are flying around and with two wings they cover their eyes and with two wings they cover their feet and with two wings they fly, right? And day and night they never stop crying. What? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His... And Piper says, you'd expect them to say, is filled with His holiness. But what's the next word? Glory. The whole earth is filled with His glory. For now, the glory, the, the holiness, the splendor, the perfection of God is revealed, and it's glorious, glorious. What is this glory? Sometimes there's a Hebrew word used, the Shekinah. Some of you have heard this word, the Shekinah glory. And the Shekinah glory is that moment when God descends and dwells in the midst of His people, displaying Himself. And when the pillar of fire was in front of Israel as they walked through the desert, remember that? And the fire by night and that glory cloud, the cloud by day. It wasn't some brown, ugly cloud. It was the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah, of God in dazzling white, that same dazzling cloud that enveloped Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and it was like, it, how can we describe it? It was like be, dr- beads of raindrops dazzling with light shimmering through them, a million prisms. The Shekinah of God displaying His dazzling beauty. Oh, my friends, we've got to know this about our God. He is splendid. In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, when John gets taken up through the door into heaven and gets a glimpse, in chapter 4 it says, And there, seated on the throne, there is God on the throne, and there he is surrounded by this glorious rainbow, this picture of color. Can you get this? Powerful color. I don't know. Can you... Can you deal with that? Powerful color. I can hardly speak about this. And out of it comes lightning and thunder across a sea of glass, clear as crystal. The presence of God. When David thinks of his death in Psalm 73, he says of his life, speaks about his life, and then he says, and afterwards you will receive me into what? glory, into your glory presence. This is our God. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. Greatness is gadol. This is gabod. Kabod and kabod, it means this splendid weight. Again, these, these words, they don't exactly fit together. Heaviness. Well, you, you former hippies, Some of you here, former hippies, somebody would be talking to you and they would say something profound and you would say, man, that's heavy. Some of you are nodding your heads, you know yourself, you know you said that. Man, that's heavy. What did you mean? You meant, that's important, that's profound, that makes an impact on me and that's what the glory of God is. The glory of God is that splendor that weighs upon you because He is so great and so splendid. And if I get this wrong in my life, what happens? What happens? If I forget that God is glorious, then suddenly I want glory. Hey, God, like James and John, can I share in your glory? I really, what I want to do is rob God of His glory and my own sense of self-importance just grows and grows and grows. And suddenly I'm so, I have this massive self-preoccupation with my own reputation. Am I the only one that struggles with this? It's because God has become small and inglorious and I forget His glory. May He forgive me. And you know what else happens not only do I think I'm important, but then I start to think you are really important. And suddenly your opinion of me is what really matters. And I become consumed with what do you think about me and, and, and how do I look in your eyes. And the Bible calls that the fear of man. If my first problem is self-importance and self-glory, my next problem when I forget that God is glorious is the fear of man. Ed Welch has written a book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. What's he talking about in that book? It's a great title, isn't it? And many of us live our lives living under the fear of the opinions of others, desperate to please, because we have forgotten that God is glorious and that we, honestly, we live before an audience of one. That's important for me to remember. When I get that wrong, I'm really a, quite a mess. When I get it right, I understand the glory of God. But how do I see the glory of God? The guy you're doing the survey with now, he's really interested. And he says, where do I see the glory of God? And the answer is, in Jesus Christ. Have you ever studied Jesus Christ? For we are told in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, of Jesus Christ, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty and you could read glory on high Jesus is the rep- is the full representation of the glory of God do you know this John John tells us in John 1 uh, verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The whole idea of Shekinah is captured in this, the dwelling glorious of glory of God. He became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his, what's the next word? Glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God is great. Do you believe that? God is glorious. And the third word that starts with the letter G is that God is good. And I say to the guy taking the survey, you know, there's a third word. It starts with G. And I want you to know that the God of the Bible, the God I believe in, He is good. Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And this little verse hidden in Psalm 119. You know, the longest psalm goes on and on and on. Little, little tiny verse in the middle of it. Verse 68. David says to the Lord, You are good and do good. I love that. What did we say a few weeks ago? We learned the phrase that churches all around the world say. The preacher stands up and he says, God is good and you say All the time, and the preacher says, All the time, God is good. So it is appropriate in our, as we take this survey, we say, God is good. And in in this verse 68, you see these two, two ideas together. First, the first one just speaking of the perfection of the person of God, for you are good. And when the survey taker says, Well, is there anything wrong at all with God? You have to think and answer this question. Are there any defects in God? What do you think? The answer is no. There are no defects in God. God is perfect. God is good in all His parts. He is excellence. John Piper says, God is excellence to an infinite degree. I don't, I don't know. Those are, just might sound like religious words to you. God is excellence in an infinite degree. And every good thing, James 1.17 says, every good thing that comes down comes from the Father of lights, comes from God, all good. Into this broken, miserable, suffering world, the goodness of God comes to reveal His goodness I believe that the contrast is actually there in his divine providence. That contrast is there so that we might see and know that God is good. When I get this wrong, when I don't really believe God is good, then my soul is not satisfied with God. My soul Suddenly needs satisfaction in something else. what about you? You need my soul now needs to be satisfied in food in sensual pleasure, in the mind numbing relief from alcohol, in the acquisition of money or stuff, and my hungry, dissatisfied soul is craving and trying, striving to find satisfaction somewhere because I forgot that God is good. Has that ever happened to you? Or am I the only person, again, who, who has fallen because I have forgotten that my God, our God, is good? Parents, parents, we need to teach these words to our children about God. And we need to demonstrate to them that we believe that God is great, and God is glorious, that God is good. But now all I've done by confessing my failures to you is condemn myself. Because if God is infinitely perfect, He cannot bear the presence of sin. He cannot bear in His presence that which is polluted. Please understand God is not the Michelin man. God is not the Pillsbury Doughboy who just giggles up in heaven. God is great, glorious, and perfectly good. And I fall short of His glory. And if you are honest, are you willing to be honest? So do you. Is there anyone here? who would declare themselves perfect and infinite in purity. And so there is a fourth word to describe our God that He uses of Himself. And what is that? Our God is gracious. Our God is a God of grace. And here comes the wonderful news. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And I was thinking, there's so many places to go in the Bible on this, but um, I, was, I was led by John Piper back to Exodus 34. Exodus 34, you remember this amazing moment where after God revealed uh, delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt, remember that? He takes them through the mighty deliverance of the Red Sea. He takes them to Mount Sinai. There His glory is revealed and Moses goes up on the mountain and God is going to constitute them as His covenant people. This high point of human history. And what do the people do during those 40 days? Eh. They build a golden calf. They have these sensual parties. They turn from God and God is ready to judge them. God has said, well, you know what, if what I did for them wasn't enough, and what Moses, I'm, I'm overstating it. God is, never sounds like that. He's always righteous. But God says, okay. And Moses intercedes a picture of Jesus Christ. Spare them, Lord. And so the Lord does. The Lord is merciful. And now in verse 34, God says, okay. And He de- the Lord descends in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Verse 6, Yahweh, Yahweh, okay? The Lord, the Lord, and here it comes. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. For you see, my friends, listen carefully now. If the screensaver has gone up, bring it back down. Listen to me here, now, very carefully. For you must know that the most wonderful demonstration of the greatness of God, of the glory of God, of the goodness of God is seen in the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For in His life, His obedience is perfect and in His death all the just wrath of God for our sins falls upon Jesus there on the cross. And in His resurrection He is declared as the one who is great. I am, He says, the Alpha and the Omega and His face is glorious, we are told. His face shines like the sun in all its brilliance. So John falls on his face as though dead with the slightest glimpse of Jesus Christ now in His glory. And He is good. Christ is good to His people. So John says in John one sixteen, From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. When I get this wrong, and I do so often, when I get this wrong, I suddenly start to believe that God is up there scowling at me, wagging His finger at me, and I have to do something to get Him to like me. And suddenly my identity, and this is, this is the sin of the pastor, my identity becomes performing for you. Or performing for my boss at work, or performing to out of my desperate desire to have my children like me. And suddenly, I have, I'm insecure, I'm rattled at my core, Because I have forgotten that my God is the God of grace who has loved me with an everlasting covenant of love that cannot be broken. And if you raise your eyebrow at me or you even dislike me, my Father in heaven, my Father, oh, my Father in heaven, he loves me. And he is gracious towards me because of the righteousness of another, because of the righteousness of another. Who is that other? Jesus Christ, my surrogate, my substitute, my Savior, who stood in my place and lived the life I should have lived and died the death I deserve to die. Oh, He is great. He is glorious. He is good. And He is gracious. When you know this about your God, you say to the guy taking the survey, it makes you love him. It makes you love him. And it causes you to love people. It frees you to love other people. Do you believe that? Someone surveys you. I have two questions for you. Do you believe in God? What words would you use to describe him? Let's pray together. Our Father, how we thank You for Jesus Christ who reveals to us Your glory. We are so glad, we are so grateful that You've opened our eyes a little bit this morning through my poor words. You have opened our eyes to display Yourself to our heart of hearts. And maybe there is someone here who would say, I didn't know this about Jesus. I did not know that He is the one who mediates between me and God. And that in Jesus all the glory, goodness, and greatness of God is displayed. Then today is a day for you to just humble yourself before Him. And to receive Him. To open your heart to Him as your Lord. As your Savior. As your Master. Would you do that right now in your heart of hearts? Say, Lord Jesus, I have fought you, I have distanced myself from you, but today, now, you win. And it is fitting and proper for me to bow the knee and to acknowledge you as the Alpha and the Omega and the Savior of my soul. For knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing Nothing is greater than knowing you and the Father and the Spirit. So be to us everything. You are our all. You are the place of rest for our soul. You are our righteousness. And we love you, Lord. Amen.